he's actually coming into the room right now. Let's see him right there. He's actually speaking. He's getting ready to talk in a moment. We'll hear from him in just a second. But Jermichael, what's your who's in the room with him? Caitlin? That's his attorney, John Laro, right there to his left, who is speaking. We should listen into John Laro. Today were momentous. Whether or not a president of the United States could be prosecuted for carrying out his responsibilities, doing his job as president. We can't have a country where every four years there's a cycle of political recrimination where one administration attacks a prior administration when in fact that candidate is leading in the polls and will be the next president of the United States. As our legal team, as our appellate team made clear, that would be a disaster for our country. That would be a direct attack on democracy and that cannot happen. What was very significant today and I'm sure you all caught it, is the special counsel conceded that if it was President Obama who was being prosecuted for a drone strike, then they'd have to consider immunity. But when it's not, when it's President Trump, then they're taking the position that there's no immunity for presidential acts that were required when a president is carrying out his job responsibilities. If we adopt what the special counsel wants, if we adopt what President Biden wants, then we open the Pandora's box to political prosecution after political prosecution after political prosecution. In fact, Joe Biden could be prosecuted for trying to stop this man from becoming the next president of the United States. We don't need political prosecutions. We need political process. I'd like to introduce President Trump. Well, I want to thank you all. And we had a, I thought, very momentous day in terms of what was learned and what they've conceded. They conceded two major points that were, uh, they were right in doing it. I don't think they had much of a choice, but they're very, very big, very powerful points. And I think we're doing very well. I think it's very unfair when a opponent, a political opponent, is prosecuted by the DOJ, by Biden's DOJ. Uh, so they're losing in every poll. They're losing in almost every demographic. Uh, numbers came out today that are uh, really very mind-boggling if you happen to be Joe Biden. And I think they feel this is the way they're going to try and win. And that's not the way it goes. It'll be bedlam in the country. It's a very bad thing. It's a very bad precedent, as we said, it's the opening of a Pandora's box, and that's a very, that's a very sad thing that's happened with this whole situation. Uh, when they talk about uh, threat to democracy, that's your real threat to democracy. And I feel that as a president, you have to have immunity. Very simple. And if you don't, as an example, if uh, this case were lost on immunity, and I did nothing wrong, absolutely nothing wrong, I'm working for the country. And I worked on uh, very hard on voter fraud because we have to have free elections. We have to have strong borders. We have to have free elections. Those two things, almost above all. And we found tremendous voter fraud. We have a list of it. We have some findings if you want it. The press doesn't like reporting it, but we found tremendous voter fraud, determinative voter fraud. But we worked on that. That's what I was doing. 
are listening to former President Trump speaking there alongside two of his attorneys, at least one of them who was in the room, making that argument earlier with that three judge panel. Of course, a few fact checks and reality statements on what you're hearing there. There is no evidence of voter fraud. Many of courts have found that there has never been any evidence of it that Trump has been able to bring, despite what he is continuing to say there. It is still a notable comment coming six days before the Iowa caucuses in the 2024 election. Ellie Honing and Karen Agnifilo Friedman are back here with us. Ellie, I just wonder what you heard or what you made of John Laro because he was coming out there and Trump echoed him, you know, at first trying to argue that this is, you know, President Biden who who is prosecuting Trump here. It's not. It's the Justice Department who is also, as we just heard from a Democratic senator, also has been indicted and the president's son. But on the argument itself, their takeaways from what happened inside that courtroom today, what did you make of that? Yeah, so a couple things I think we need to set the record straight on. First of all, Donald Trump just told us that DOJ made these remarkable sort of shocking concessions. I don't think so. I think DOJ was consistent in their position, which is a former president can be indicted for something that he did that falls outside the scope of the presidency. I don't think they actually gave away anything. I think to the contrary, it was a little bit surprising to hear Donald Trump's lawyers go in there and concede that under certain circumstances, a former president can be prosecuted. We do have to address this point, this constant refrain that this is somehow Joe Biden going after Donald Trump. I mean, just so people understand, you have the president, who nominates the attorney general, who's then confirmed by the Senate. The attorney general, Merrick Garland, then put one more layer in and put Jack Smith in office as special counsel. And to be clear, there's no evidence of any communication between any of those folks, particularly and Joe Bill Biden. And Barr has agreed that he does not believe the indictment in Washington. It, it, he believes that it's a sound legal argument. Right. He does not believe that it's uh, politically motivated. Yeah, That's Bill Bar Trump's attorney general. Bill Barr of all people, right. The, the last point that you heard from both is this Pandora's box floodgates concern. And, and I think it's a legitimate point. We heard it argued today. Where is the line? Where would this end? The response that we heard from DOJ, which I think was quite effective, was there are safeguards in place. This isn't as simple as president doesn't like someone, boom, they're indicted. There are, first of all, prosecutors who have a duty to only indict people where they have provable evidence. You have grand juries who will have to review that evidence and return an indictment. You have then a trial. Trial juries, of course, review for proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And then finally, a court of appeals, like the one we just saw today. So it's a fair argument. I get where they're going with it. And you do have to be concerned about, will this open up some new chapter we don't like? But there are really important safeguards in place. I will say there was moments when John Laro was speaking about needing to have a political process, not persecution. Trump largely echoed his speech from over the weekend in response to President Biden talking about a threat to democracy. He obviously takes great offense to this discussion. But there was a moment when Laro said, look, every four years, we could potentially be seeing a recrimination of a political opponent. The concern of trying to instill the fear that this could happen again unless we put these guardrails up. But what did you make, Karen, of the comparison? They seem to suggest, John Laro, that the Court of Appeals was saying that if it had been Obama, this would have been immunity, talking about a drone strike, when it was far more nuanced. They were actually talking about official actions, actions of a president, versus those that are so-called rogue and unofficial. Unpack for us a little bit about why that feels disingenuous to suggest the court was saying, if it were Obama, you get immunity. Yeah, so I think it's pretty clear here that there's a distinction between acts as president versus personal acts, right? If you were to engage in domestic violence, for example, or sexual assault, nobody would say just because you're president, uh, you are immune if you 
are out of office and you're a former president for that personal con conduct. And that's very an extreme version of, of what it would be. And here he was candidate Trump. Although he says that the election was long over, he was trying to make it so that he could be put back into office, that he could change the outcome of that election, acting as a candidate, not as president. So it's not within his official duties. And, and we distinguish that all the time, right? What you can do as a campaign and a candidate versus even if you're an incumbent, there is a real bright line rule between the two actions. Absolutely, and there are laws in place that specifically separate political conduct from official conduct. The Hatch Act, for example, is one that is often mentioned when you work for a government employee. I worked for a state government employee when I worked for the Manhattan DA's office. When he, that was also an elected office, and, and I couldn't have anything to do with his campaign. That would have been totally inappropriate, not in my job description, yet he was able to do that as the candidate. And there was some very clear distinction between what he did as a candidate versus what he did as the elected district attorney and the rest of us as employees there. And I think it's very clear with Donald Trump as well. He was acting as a candidate, not as a president at the time. But the waters are a little bit muddied. And I wonder for everyone sort of listening and thinking about this, you know, we've heard Nixon say, if the president does it, it's not illegal. We've all been watching West Wing. I remember that episode when they were like, we can't do this right now. Yes, West Wing, what, I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> but this idea of whether what you're doing, if you're the incumbent president, he is saying that, no, no, I was not just a candidate. I was trying to ensure that voter fraud was not happening. That's under the laws. It's under my umbrella purview. I was trying to take um, care of the laws as written, and that's what I was doing. So is it clear for a court to look at this and say, candidate, president, head of the executive branch? So let me give you this analysis. There have been other people who have raised similar claims. They've said, what I was doing in the run-up to January 6th was part of my official job. For example, Mark Meadows has made that same argument, trying to get his case moved from state court in Georgia over to federal court. It's basically the same test. Meadows said, well, what I was doing as White House Chief of Staff, that was part of my job as White House Chief of Staff, rejected by the courts. Jeffrey Clark, DOJ official, same thing. He said, part of my official federal job at DOJ, rejected. Donald Trump himself, in a different case, Donald Trump is being sued for over January 6th by police officers who were there at the scene, civil case. and this argument about whether Donald Trump is civilly immune was within the job of president. That actually went to this same court that we just heard, different panel of judges, mm -hmm. but the Court of Appeals in D.C., and they rejected it. They said, no, what you were doing was outside the scope of the presidency. So you're right. It's not as clear cut as if there's a traffic accident as opposed to signing legislation. Those would be obvious examples of something outside and inside the scope of the presidency. But so far, it's been unanimous that all this activity leading up to January 6th outside the scope of the official jobs.